0: It was victory for the French with La Rochelle and Toulon taking home the European silverware across the entire weekend. And coming up next, there's a small matter of the Premiership title to decide. So here to chat all about rugby and much, much more as ever is my good friend Sarah Elgin. Sarah, how are you?
2: I'm good, lol. I'm good, thanks. Also with us from the Evening Standard is Steve Cording. Hi, Steve.
0: Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lawrence.
2: I'm surprised to see you here, Steve. Normally you kind of get a week off, don't you? You have to be in on the pod. Yeah. So what are you doing here today?
3: You're stuck with me again. Uh, Nick is at the Saracens Press Day, which I understand goes on basically all day. So uh, oh, really? they've got lots of players to put up for the Premiership final. But yeah, he'll be back next week.
2: Okay. Good to see you anyway. But a good week, Steve?
3: Yeah. Uh, a busy weekend. Uh, while you guys were uh, over in Dublin, I was hosting uh, 11 three to four year olds. My little George was four. Uh, oh. yeah, so we had the Bouncy Castle in the garden. Uh, lots of parents over. Unfortunately, bought lots of booze for the parents. And I uh, didn't manage to get rid of hardly any of it. I think I got rid of one bottle of lager. That was it.
2: What's wrong so, with them?
3: <laughs> new generation
0: clearly don't drink at parties. That sounds very dangerous. Bouncy castle parents and wine. Uh, yes.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was left to me uh, and and the wife, a lady, to drink the tequila shots and then have a go at the bouncy castle when I everybody had gone. So that was. I good love fun.
2: a kids party. I miss like those parties when they're really little. You know, mainly because if you took me to a restaurant and offered me like really really nice food, or you took me to a kids party and offered me. Pineapple and cheese on a stick. I'd be like, I love the pineapple and cheese on a stick, please. (laughs) I love kids' party food. What can I say? Um, Lorenzo, you were over in Dublin at the weekend. Post-match, I couldn't quite work out if you were helping the French celebrate or the Irish commiserate. To be fair, you were doing a pretty good job at both.
0: I mean, listen, it's a lovely weekend. I couldn't work it out. The last time I was in Dublin, we were in Dublin, you and I and your husband and the whole Irish team, it was, of course, Ireland winning the Grand Slam. Another Irish-French weekend. Do you know what? It was strangely subdued in Dublin, and it's very rare that we say that, but obviously the result went the way of the French. And look, you know, we'll talk about the performance later on, but yeah, we had something to celebrate because it's the end of our European season and obviously uh, we had to lead the charge, didn't we, with Ben (laughs) Well, there wasn't many of us, uh, but we had a nice, quiet meal, which uh, we were served by a lovely young Italian waiter who we thought was Italian, but I'm not sure he was at all. No, Uh,
2: because you started talking Italian to him.
0: (laughs) Well, I put him in his place, that's why. I mean, he was... uh, Oh, bless him. We were all good.
2: Yes, it was a nice evening. And OK, right. Well, our guest this week is a former player who holds the record for the fastest try scored in a Premiership game. Just 8.28 seconds, which he achieved during his time with Lee's Tyke. Since his playing days, he's gone on to become an accomplished coach, becoming the youngest head coach in the top two tiers of English rugby when he took charge of Rotherham, aged just 30. He then spent seven years with Wasps, including three as head coach and after a spell with the Scarlets. He's now looking forward to starting the new season in the West country as he becomes the backs coach at bath it's lee blackett hi lee
1: hi how are you
2: good i've learned something you know in, in my little prep for this and i have prepped you quite a lot over the years but i didn't know that you'd scored the fastest try in 8.28 seconds do you still dine out on that that's pretty impressive
1: uh i just occasionally mention it uh, it's the only <laughs> thing i achieve, achieved, you see, as a player, so... Oh, if you notice, in seven years of coaching in the premiership, we've never kicked short to get the ball back because there's no chance I'm allowing a team I coach to try and beat that record.
2: It. That's brilliant. <laughs> love that.
0: Now, Lee, we're going to talk to you about life, obviously, with the Scarlets and um, your future plans with Bath. That sounds like a really exciting move. But before we do, obviously, let's talk Wasps. No getting away from the recent news about Wasps, a club that we both love. Um devastating week for them actually although bizarrely there might be a reprieve on that front which uh, I don't want to talk about necessarily until it happens but um, 12 months ago I don't think any of us would have imagined that the state of affairs for the club they've been at the heart of English rugby for over 150 years obviously life moves on for a lot of the players are playing across you know, Europe and in clubs in the premiership. How hard was the fallout from that whole situation for you personally? Because you've obviously had to deal with everyone else as well as dealing with your own sort of personal feelings towards it and your own personal situation. You're the head coach at that time. So you were putting other people first before yourself, which is a is a hard thing to, to reflect on really.
1: What I would say immediately, I think uh, everyone's gone on record, and I still think it was. It, everything sounded so positive within the camp, and it, it was positive. We all thought we were going to come out of it. And I think it's a wake-up call really probably to everyone. Look at the size of the club that it is. Anyone can go. No one's too big to go. And there's a lot of people that probably thought there was no chance was are ever going to go. They're too big this just goes to show: It doesn't matter how big you are, you are vulnerable if, if obviously financially you're not in a secure place. So that was massive. I think on the day it happened, for me, you spend all your time as a coach preparing players and making sure everyone in the environment's in the right place. And uh, everything is about thinking about other people, it's not about thinking about yourself. And it was really weird. I know Josh was on last week and he said he felt guilty that he was the first person to leave. And, it felt guilty ringing my agent after that conversation saying, mate, you're going to have to do me a favour here and look about. Yeah, it felt really strange. Look, it's sad. It feels, honestly, about 25 years ago it happened. Does it? It just does not feel like this season. I've been recently looking at a load of stats on the, the URC and looking from stats on the premiership and seeing where the game's going. And then when you look at those stats, Watson and Worcester are still in them. And uh, it feels strange to just see that.
3: Lawrence, when we were talking to Josh last week, we were still obviously hoping that there was still a possibility of playing in the championship, but that, that now seems to have gone. I mean, um, how did the news
0: hit you last week? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean it's careful what I say here, but um, it's unusual. When when you get statements released, the RFC saying we've been doing everything to help WASPs, when I mean, they've been doing very little to help WASPs, actually. Um, and so when you say we've done everything to help WASPs, and help Worcester. I mean, I'm not sure who's writing that because it's uh, just pulled that out of thin air, actually. The phone has been very quiet for quite some time. And the reality is that rugby is a busted flush, as it has been financially for quite some time. And you know, people obviously only want 10 teams in the league because if they wanted something different, they'd create something different. That's the reality. Um, If you want to let brands like Was and Worcester go, and I I mentioned it when it first happened about Was, you know, you've got a very, very strong brand there that's got very good premiership rugby pedigree, it's given huge amounts of the game, and if you want to move forward without them, good luck to you, you know. Watts couldn't go to investors to get money to come into the club if they don't know what the structure is for the championship and they don't know what the structure is for the premiership. And the RFU and PRL couldn't give them that. So, you know, if your funding for the premiership is four and a million per club, and your funding for the championship is £50,000. That's quite a difficult thing to bridge, isn't it, really? So things will move on. At the moment, Wasps are back in the lowest league. And look, if we have to play and get promoted 10 years on the trot, we'll do that. Because as I said to you before, it's a strong group of people. There's a lot of very influential people within Wasps and, uh, and they'll come back. But I'd watch this space. It's not quite all over just yet.
3: Yeah, you mentioned that reprieve. Are you thinking maybe, I mean, I've seen a couple of stories this weekend suggesting that the franchise model might come back when there's a restructuring of the league. Is that a
0: possibility? I believe so. I mean, what the RFU and PRL need to do is come out with the structure of English rugby moving forward. What is the premiership? Do you want to ring fence it for three to five years for 10 clubs? Is that competitive? Is it anti-competitive? Is it allowed even? If you're going to allow clubs to be in the championship, do any clubs actually want to come up from the championship? Are you going to uh, take Wasp shares and uh, are you going to spread them out amongst the rest of the premiership and share them amongst the group? Or are you going to ring fence them and allow the opportunity for clubs to come up? Otherwise, it just becomes, I think what you call a cartel, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, there's no way in and no way out.
2: Lee, what's your take on it? I mean, what do the authorities need to be doing to kind of prevent more clubs going under, I suppose, and to provide a robust structure for the future of the game?
1: Loads of people have asked me that question. Honestly, I don't know.
2: Do you not know because there is no answer like at the moment?
1: I think a load of people uh, throw things about and saying it's broken and needs changing. But how many people are coming up with ideas changed? I actually don't know. I don't know how to. I've not spent enough time looking at it. I'm probably just... Too involved in trying to do a good job within the game itself to think about the game as a bigger picture, but it definitely needs a look at, doesn't it? That's for sure. And I think it's got to be like, Look at the just look at the scenes back in La Rochelle this weekend. How good's that?
2: We want that here, don't we? We want it. Yeah. I know we do.
1: Here. I know well, it could, I, it could I, happen
0: as well. If you, I mean, the game, the game needs to grow here, needs to change here. And it's not going to change by keeping it the same. You know, we can't have all of our international players away for half the season. So, you know, let's come up with a structure where something has to give. That's the reality. The only way we're going to get a season and a structure to move forward as if something gives. And at the moment, everyone's fighting for the same land grab, be that money, be that players. And everyone has a little bit too much of a vested interest in themselves and not in how to grow collectively.
3: Obviously, with London Irish in deep trouble again at the moment, Lee, could you see a scenario, talk about coming up with a, a plan where the best of the premiership play in the URC? And if the Irish Union do bail out London Irish, could they potentially go and play in the URC next season? Those
1: rumours wasn't there of Ealing doing very similar, taking over potentially the Ospreys uh, by the year. So there's obviously uh, there's opportunity. I think the URC would probably love an English team or a couple of English teams in that league. So. Yeah, I could see it. I think anything's possible at the
0: this moment in time. I mean, you wouldn't have said a few years ago, South African teams are playing the European Championship. League. No. So... Um,
2: well, Lee, let's talk about the Scarlets then, shall we? You spent the last six months or so as coach for them. What's that experience been like? And is there anything you've learned from that league that you'd be looking to bring back to the Premiership?
1: In terms of, for me personally, you, you spend the last three years as a head coach. and You've got this helicopter view and I'm always naturally going to be looking at attack-wise. Even as a head coach, you probably specialise slightly. We don't have the time to go into detailing. And for me, I probably use the last six months. The time that I was probably spending on being a head coach, I just use as us nosing the game off and, and, <laughs> and trying to find as much as I possibly can. And so I would like to think I've come out of that experience as a better attack coach, working with completely different people that I'd never worked with. The difference in the URC is there's so many different ways of playing the game. It's not like the premiership. The premiership team's fairly similar. The, the URC is just completely different. You're That's
2: just, really interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. just talk about you and your experience for next season. You're joining Bath as the attack coach. Um, you're going to be personally back in coaching Champions Cup rugby again, which is fantastic. I mean, that last-minute drama with them getting into the Champions Cup, you must have been going, yes that's fantastic <laughs> we'll put pen to paper on that contract and then you've got finn russell who is uh, one of the leading players in the world but just a you know a brilliant player to when you think about attack uh what are you looking forward to most about that is it working with a new group is it working with a new group of coaches
1: the next move and i know you can't be picky in terms of generally your roles because there isn't that many coaching roles out there but there was a couple of opportunities that came up But for me, if you're in the position to have a choice, I wanted to go somewhere where I'm looking at this weekend, I'm just seeing finals rugby, I'm seeing semi-final. I just want to be involved right at the end. And that, for me, was more important than anything. I just want to be involved in a team that picks up silverware. And I think you can see everything Johan's done, I think, in terms of he's turned the club around. He finished the season really well. And I think in the next couple of years, there's everything in place for that team to be at the business end of competitions. And uh, for me, that was probably the biggest sell. Apart from actually... I'll always remember. So when it all happened at Was, I wouldn't know what to say to someone that has happened at Was. I'd just do the normal thing and I'd send a text message and I'd just say, I'm really sorry, I hope everything's well if I can help out. But Johan, who I hardly knew, rang me straight away. And that says everything you you need to know really about that guy. Him and Tabai, they were the two. And two guys I didn't really know that well. I just knew i am coming across them as coaches. But don't get me wrong, everyone else sent text messages. I probably would have done the same. But those two guys, I- I'll just never forget that. It was immediate. It was that night. And uh, it says a lot about those guys. So,
0: Well, the one that makes them, you know, exceptional human beings. But they were obviously scouting you long before that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, to be
2: fair, Johan did describe you as someone with a very high IQ last week. So no wonder you're saying nice things about him.
1: <laughs> he must have said rugby. IQ. He, he did say he dick. did say rugby
2: <laughs> IQ. I, I didn't put that in because yeah, it sounded better. Just high IQ. Are you going to be moving down to the West Country, Lee? Because you commute be in to drive Yeah, yeah. So
1: yeah, that is. But you, you know what. I, I actually found it better for me. I sort of had a couple of hours in the morning drive where I was able to like gather my thoughts and make sure I was planning right for this meeting, right, who we're going to speak to, what's the main messages today. And it was an amazing time in the morning and that's what it gave me. So at first I plan on traveling down because the family really settled in the Midlands. I reckon I can do it in under the term. I'll stay down there two, three nights a week. So for me at this moment in time, I'm going to be half and half.
3: Can I just ask you about Bath as well? Because obviously we've touched on La Rochelle being such a heartbeat of the team and the fan base that they've got there. I mean, Bath... I know it doesn't compare like for like, but I think in terms of tradition, history and heritage, I mean, how much did that appeal to you as being a potential, particularly with the new planning permission they've got to build a new stadium, etc. Is it all falling into place there? Has that got that potential to be as much of a heartbeat?
1: You're going to make me sound like, a, do you know that football player that signs for a new club and he says, I oh, always supported this team? <laughs> uh,
3: You're
1: going to give us that line, say,
3: are you? No, I'm not going <laughs> to say that. You're <laughs> going to kiss the badge.
1: <laughs> what i would say is it was my favorite away ground in the premiership and it's so unique and i think it's because we always stayed in the city center we always walked to the ground and it just came to life on match day as you walk around everyone's in bass shirts and it's just like this is a proper rugby town and so i've always had that and maybe because i think we probably had nine visits down we won eight times or something during it it always helps when you win as well so you maybe get blinked by that because Generally, I hate going to Exeter Saracens, but I'm not <laughs> the greatest records there. So, But it is, it's got that history. It's sold out more than it's not. And financially, it's everything in place to, to be a
0: successful club. Lee, we wish you all the very best with that. Before we let you go, Tackled is our little uh, series of questions. Uh, nothing to worry about, obviously. <laughs> Given the questions you've had to face in most press conferences over the last 12 months, it's a bit, <laughs> <that is> relatively <laughs> that simple. It easy. Tackled. Your full name, please.
1: This I thought was very strange, but actually in Wales, a lot of people do it. It's actually Charles Lee Blackett. Lee is the middle name.
2: Okay, so you didn't go with Charles Blackett. That sounds very regal. We exactly.
0: yeah. <laughs> call him Chaz. it's a bit more northern. Right? Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Uh, speaking of which, your favourite takeaway? Chinese. Ooh, I mean, obviously, you're playing days like mine are, are long behind you. What do you have for breakfast these days?
1: Do you know what? I'm trying to not eat breakfast as much as possible, but if you asked me this morning, it was two poached eggs on toast.
0: What's the best advice you've been given, either in rugby or in
1: life? Be honest. Be honest in what comes out of your mouth. but it's not just that. It's it's what your actions are. And I think also be honest to yourself. Like I know if if I've done everything I possibly can going into a game as a coach, I know. If I've done everything I can as a player in that game to win that game, I know.
0: Good advice. Who's the most famous person in your concept book?
1: of Rugby Knows, my, my book. So... I'd have to say Lawrence Del Alley are probably my most famous. <laughs> oh, that's not
0: true.
2: You oh, <laughs> find better friends. <laughs>
1: if I went outside, I'd probably say Johnny Bass. So That'd probably be about it, really. Everything else is in rugby. But Lawrence told me to say that answer, so. I did, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would play? We, I think we know the answer to this. Well, Sarah did, anyway. Who would play you in a film about your life? I actually wouldn't know. So I'll oh. give him the answer. Oh,
2: Woody Harrelson. <laughs> No, I just see the a little resemblance.
0: That's your new nickname now, Woody. See <laughs> <laughs> so if I can get it to go. When you played, or when when you're coaching, who's the funniest person you've been around? Who makes people really giggle every single day? Just because of how brutally
1: is someone like Haskell always made me laugh. I could always spend hours like just around Haskell and listen to
0: his comments. The second best podcast on the airwaves. Yeah. There's yeah.
1: And even someone like Alex Reader about, but well, Alex Reader, I was actually playing with him at Leeds, and then I signed him at Rotherham as a coach, and then we signed him at West. I have never gone from laughing so much at someone to being so angry at someone within like he could he, he could flip me in ten seconds quite comfortably. It's like
0: being married, that isn't it? Really? <laughs> I was going to say that's <laughs> it not like being married. being married, that all right, all right, all right. Take it back uh, and take it back. Uh, <laughs> Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. What's your karaoke, What What's you go-to if you have to get up and, uh, and sing a little number for, the, for everyone? G- generally, the worst singer. So
1: I actually do not have one.
0: Lee, you're going to have to change that, mate, when you get... Well, I don't know what they're like at Bath, but you, I'm yeah. presuming <laughs> they you, they're presuming going to make you sing something. So you better, you've got all summer to work it out. I
1: know, uh, I try and play something, but honestly, I am the worst singer.
0: That's the point of karaoke, isn't it? You're supposed yeah, to be the worst exactly. singer. Exactly. Growing up for you, rugby's obviously a big thing. Who, in your opinion, was the best, or who is the best rugby player, or was for you the reason why you took up the game? You thought, yeah, I'm going to have a bit of that.
1: Do you know what? I think the best rugby player I've seen, and I know he's young now still is to punt he just changes games he's doing things that other people haven't done and i know it's recent i know he's got a long way to go to become the best ever but the influence i'm seeing on games i one of my first early memories was obviously what jonah did at 95 world cup and how special he was then in that competition
0: very good. And then final question, your most memorable rugby moment in your career, and I'm sure you're going to have many, many more. What has it been to date?
1: Probably say as a player, and this probably says a lot about my playing career, it was a relegation clash between uh, Leeds and Worcester. It was a massive game and we had to beat Worcester to stay up. And the emotion that was going into that game in the week uh, was pretty special. So that probably says a lot that where, where I was fighting in my career. And then probably as a coach would be obviously taking over from Dai, winning 13 out of 14 games and beating Bristol in the semi-finals. And I know there was no crowds out, but that period of beating them, coming in on the Monday, having 15 people in total in the environment out through COVID tests that week, thinking that we had two weeks of train to Exeter who were going to play the Champions Cup to then spend 10 days out of the environment, and then rock up have one session and lead into a premiership final is an insane period. I'd love to say that was a really good memory. That was a, that was a tough period. But
0: well, if you could if do that, you could do anything, Lee. So I'm sure <laughs> yeah. might be like that. So well done to you. Listen... Uh... It's been a real privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the pod.
1: No, thank you for having me.
0: It's been great to chat with you. Uh, We wish you all the best for your new role at Bath. I have no doubt you're going to do fantastic things with the boys down there, and we can't wait to see what the new season brings. Thank you very much.
1: Cheers, Al. Thanks a lot, everyone.
2: So as you mentioned earlier, Lol, it was um, a weekend of celebration for the French as Toulon beat Glasgow 43-19 on Friday night to take the Challenge Cup before Saturday's showdown between Leinster and La Rochelle in the Champions Cup. But it was a dramatic comeback from Ronan O'Gara's men. That's probably putting it lightly, isn't it? We saw them beat Leinster um, and earn them back-to-back titles. La Rochelle, 17 points down, just 11 minutes into that game. But the final score saw them take the win, 27-26. Lawrence, as we mentioned, you and I were there what a game it was, what an atmosphere it was. It was about as, as entertaining as rugby gets.
0: Yeah, it really was. First of all, let's talk about the game and the actual atmosphere and the occasion. I think um, for me, it's the greatest club competition in the world. It's probably one of the best rugby competitions, sports competitions in the world. If you're lucky enough to be there, I thought the atmosphere was superb. It makes Twickenham, well, it, it just creates a bit of competition. Let's see what Let's see what English rugby can put on eh, this weekend because... That was the best of European rugby, the best two teams, repeat of last year's final. It's an international match, but it has the atmosphere of something completely different. Because as much as we all love international rugby, and I was lucky enough to play for a very long time, the best atmosphere I ever had was in club games. Because you got the crowd, you got the, the colour in that stadium, Sar was amazing, wasn't it? And then the noise. Yeah, it was. So it, I just think that that is the benchmark for everyone else to aspire to. It's better than international rugby. And people won't like to hear me say that, but it's just a fact. And uh, the Premiership pats itself on the back. Well, let's see what you can do this weekend, because uh, I've been to a few games now away from England. And I hate to say it, but the atmosphere has been a lot better.
3: Well, talking about that, La Rochelle, my word, 3 a.m. in the morning, 2,000 fans turn up. Yesterday, the scenes were just
0: unbelievable. I think we've just got to you know, talk about the enormity of what La Rochelle have done, really. You know, Leinster are a brilliant side. To win any competition is tough. To go away from home and win the final away from home is really tough. To do it against a side that is as good as Leinster is, which is effectively the Ireland team, I don't think anyone can underestimate I think it's probably the best final I've watched, as in European final, for quite some time because of the challenge that Ronagara was up against. Everyone just expected Leinster to turn up, win the game, put the fifth star on the shirt. But... Uh, I just thought the enormity of the challenge probably makes it the best European cup. We're maybe up there with Leinster beating Northampton. Do you remember that? And and that's what Leinster fans have to remember, that they broke Northampton's hearts in Cardiff with probably the greatest comeback for quite some time. And I just think it, it was a match that had everything. So uh, I was thrilled for La Rochelle.
2: And Steve, I said pre-match that the atmosphere, we've done a few finals now, and the atmosphere pitch side, um, it, obviously it goes without saying, if it's a Heineken Champions Cup final, the atmosphere is amazing. And then the nerves, the excitement, the expectation, but it did feel different. And I don't know why it felt different. I don't know if it was because we had two teams going back to back, you know, finals for the first time ever, but it just felt different. And um, yeah, what a game it was. What did you make of it, Steve?
3: Yeah, I I mean, I have to say that I think those first 11, 12 minutes, probably, I mean, we've all said it's probably the best rugby we've seen played by one team ever in the history of rugby. I mean, the fact that there were set moves that they'd obviously planned in advance and they knew where that gap was going to be in the line out. And then they followed it up and and it just seemed like it was going to be almost that perfect scenario. But you always got the feeling La Rochelle were the defending champions. They know how to play rugby. It wasn't going to be one sided for the entire game. Their time was going to come. And when it did come. They took the opportunities that they had. Now, I'm going to sound slightly contradictory because I know I said last week that I don't like the style of rugby that they play. However, I have to concede that not only did they use such a physical approach, but there was also so much skill on show. I mean, even from the likes of Will Skelton, who was doing offloads out of his backhand, it was just superb. I mean, as an occasion to watch on TV, I mean, I have to agree that in terms of excitement, noise levels, the anticipation that was all there and the drama at the end, it was just a superb.
2: It was really interesting to hear what Roland Agara was saying after about that halftime chat. He gives such good insight, doesn't he, guys? And the fact that to hear what was going through his mind of like what to say and what not to say to his team during that halftime talk, I thought that was amazing. Well, I hear.
0: mean, I think things probably haven't changed enormously. I mean, let's just applaud Leinster for what they did in that opening 20 minutes. It they were was incredible, incredible, yeah. I mean, they came out, they were ferocious in the tackle. You know, Caelan Doris, Ringrose, um, you know, Henshaw the tackling across the board, they were, I mean, they and you just saw it, we were sat close together, so I just thought, this is only going one way this game. I mean, wow, they're going to win and they're going to really win well. And so, to recover from that situation, to be 17 nil down, and Ronan O'Gara is suddenly thinking, what am I going to say at half-time? And it was probably very different five minutes before half-time than it was two minutes before half-time because of course, they came up with a try just before the half and he probably changed his half-time team to be only nine points down. Having been annihilated in that first half probably felt like a little victory. And uh, I just think Renegar, what he's brought to that side is one, a conscience, a psychological conscience that they now understand how to prepare for big games mentally. And it's about preparing yourself, but also an honesty, a rugby intelligence. I mean, a, I don't know if you've seen subsequent interviews that he's done, but he asked, you know, people to bring in little mementos into the changing room, you know, stuff that really makes it personal. Ronaldo's mother was on the pitch after the game. You know, she's not been very well. She had a fall some time ago. She missed last year's final. And when you start to make it personal, it becomes very powerful. You know, you know me, I get very emotional about these things. but. It is about that. It's about the personal journey. So, yeah, look, I was blown away, really, by the performance that they produced in the second half. Probably one of the greatest performances, similar to Leinster in in, uh, in Cardiff. So it was fascinating.
2: Yeah, and there were some magnificent performances in Dublin. So who are you choosing for your Player of the Week this week, gents?
0: Player of the Week with QBE Business Insurance. Be prepared.
2: Who wants to go first? Lawrence.
0: There were some amazing performances Gregory Aldrich won the European Player of the Year but I'm actually just going to go for Ron O'Gara because it has to be him. I mean, what he's achieved with that team, what he achieved that week, and he did it quite mischievously as well and he turned up for his 24-hour press conference the day before the game in a red shirt, you know, knowing full well that, you know, the Red and Munster going back to the heart of Leinster, I think the way he set his team up, you know, the way he spoke all week, what he did beforehand, wow. I mean, greatest ever European performance in my mind, Ron O'Gara.
2: Steve?
3: Well, I'm going to go for a man who is is uh, six foot eight 22 stone, wears size 19 boots. Uh, he had 14 carries and three offloads. I've already mentioned him, but uh, Will Skelton, for me, I just thought was immense and just led by example in that second half. And it's going to be interesting to hear from Eddie Jones this week and also from next week, we've got him coming on the pod, as to what he thinks about him being involved in the Rugby World Cup. Because uh, I think if he plays for Australia, then uh, England beware in that quarterfinal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And for once, I'm just going to agree with both of you. I'm not going to like add anyone different into the mix because I don't think I can disagree. Um, yeah, Ronan and uh, Will Skelton. I think it was Sassy, wasn't it? They mentioned after the match, he said, I play with monsters. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like he is massive. Like I always forget how big Will Skelton is um, until I'm standing next to him. And he is just, yeah, like you said, six foot eight, 22 stone. And um, he just dominates, doesn't he, basically. So, yeah, I'm actually going to agree with both of you for a change. Okay, time to turn our attention then to the big event this week, the Premiership Finals, Saracens against Sale at Twickenham Stadium. Lawrence, these teams both have been absolutely brilliant this season and either, I guess, would be worthy winners. So what do you think? It'll come down to you on Saturday. Who's going to have that edge and why?
0: Yeah, great final. You know, marketing dream, really. You've got so many superstars on both sides. You know, one team from the south, one from the north. First and second. Both sides have had a really successful season. I think we have to celebrate that, even if one of them is going to end up with nothing, you know, and one of them will be champions. And I think we have to recognise that they both play well alexanerson has made significant improvements to that sale setup so that's great there's a great narrative in the build-up is there more pressure on saracens i think there is because they've got all the experience they haven't won a pot for a little while sale go in there as the underdogs and as we've seen this weekend the underdogs can win um, and they can win well so it's a huge game i'm going to be slightly controversial And please, Saracens fans, excuse me for this, but you've got to back your heart sometimes. And I was always an underdog in most finals I played in. And I just got a feeling about Sale this year. They look strong. They look really strong. And I'd like them to win their... First trophy Ooh. since 2005. It would be wonderful.
2: Okay. I'll
0: probably get it all wrong because Saracen's a pretty win, but uh, I just think there's something about sale. There's something about coming second and really putting pressure on that team. So,
2: all the best walking around that stadium, meeting Saracen's <laughs> fans on Saturday pre match. Good luck with that one, Noel. Uh, Steve, who are you going well, for? Well, I
0: think,
3: I think you will make Simon Orange a very happy man because he spent, what, 250 grand on taking the players down to Twickenham and then taking them away to Marbella. So, win or lose, they're going away. But I have to disagree. I think on this occasion, with Got the top point scorers this season against the best defence. One of them's got to give. And I'm actually going to say that Saracens, I think, will overcome and come back from last year's what narrow defeat. By Leicester Tigers, and I'm going to back Saracens to win by seven points.
2: Oh, I like it when you two disagree. It gives you something to go on next week.
3: You've got the casting vote.
2: I am not. I'm not getting involved in the votes. That's not my job. I ask the questions, Lawrence Delalio. Don't make predictions.
3: You're just going to say rugby will be the winner. That's what you're going to say. Rugby
2: will be the winner. Yes, I like that, Steve. But we will be there for the last game of the season, and um, we can't wait, can we?
0: In next week's pod, we'll bring you our review of the Premiership final from Twickenham. Plus, we'll also be joined wait for it exclusively by Australia's head coach Eddie Jones so that will be an interesting conversation we hope and you won't want to miss it so until then my thanks to Sarah and to Steve and to our guest Lee Blackett and of course to you for all listening the evening standard rugby podcast with Lawrence Delalio.